Welcome to Candidates of Liberty, a special series from Lions of Liberty dedicated to spotlighting libertarian candidates across the country. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Candidates of Liberty, our newest show here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, here on Candidates of Liberty, we focus on interviewing libertarian candidates who are running for office. I know. Shocking. You wouldn't know that from the title, would you? But uh, we've had some great guests, great candidates, and it's been a uh, it's been a fun time. We've expanded the podcast here for the last couple weeks of October to be five days per week. So you get two Candidates of Liberty episodes, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, and then you have our other three shows spread between that every Monday, our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the libertarian movement from time to time, like this uh, yesterday's show, who host roundtable discussions, our Favorite uh, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. That's a, uh, I was going to say family favorite, but that's, don't listen to that with your family. Keep your family away from libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And every Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is the show that I host every week, where I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And sandwiched between those, of course, on Tuesday and Thursday, is Candidates of Liberty. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Just subscribe and listen to all these shows, because they're all freaking fantastic. And that's really oh, the show notes page. One more thing before we get to this interview. Show notes page. This is the 11th episode of Candidates of Liberty. So the show notes page will be at lionsofliberty.com slash col11. Let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Candidates of Liberty is Dr. Murray Sabrin. Murray is the Libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate in New Jersey. Murray, welcome to Candidates of Liberty. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate the opportunity to um, make my case to your audience. Well, thank you for uh, taking your time out of your busy schedule. I know you're busy, obviously, running for office, and I, I follow you on social media, and I see you you keep a very active schedule. We were just talking pre-show that you have a Facebook Live scheduled for after this, so so you're keeping busy, which is, which is a good thing. Um, I wanted to start out with a question. I know this isn't the first time that you ran for office, right? Um, but I think I could be wrong. Is this the first time you've ran as a libertarian? No, I ran for a libertarian in 1997. I was a libertarian okay. party candidate for governor, and we made political history. We were the first third-party candidate to raise enough funds to get the matching from the state, which required me to be in three debates with the two major parties. And it was a six-week campaign because initially we were denied the application for the matching funds. Then the uh, uh, application was approved by uh, the election commission after we went to uh, uh, court with it. And there was a six-week campaign from September 19th to uh, Election Day. I crisscrossed the state. I made the case. And um, a week before the election, I was polling in double digits. But because the race was so close, uh, the voters uh, said, OK, we, we have to make sure the person we least like want to win, that's who we're going to vote against. And so my vote total went down to nearly uh, 5%. So. We got 114,000 votes when nobody knew who I was uh, uh, on sep- in September 19th before uh, we got the matching funds application approved. So 
we made the case. Uh, we had some great success. Um, one was for free speech, for the First Amendment. I received uh, a little note from a police officer in my town when we lived in a private home. And he said, uh, the note said I was in violation of a uh, town ordinance, which said you could not put political signs on your own property. So the campaign went to court. And it's now part of case law. The Superior Court ju judge threw it out that it's now legal in the state of New Jersey to put a, a political sign on your own property. Okay. So we did that. I also called for automobile uh, uh, insurance deregulation. And four years later, Jim McGreevy was elected, who I was one of my opponents in 97. And he deregulated the market, as I suggested in, in 97. So the Republican governor, Christy Whitman, the Republican Party, sa uh, Party says they're all for deregulation and free markets. She didn't do it. It took a Democrat governor to do it in 2002 after he was uh, sworn in. And so we, we got that accomplished, even though uh, he obviously didn't consult me. But the point is, it would make common sense. Right. You regulate the market, increase competition, and rates go down. So you obviously ran as a Republican before you're running as a libertarian. Well, you ran as a libertarian, then as a Republican, then as a libertarian, right? Right. So I, was, I, I was in three primaries as a Republican running for the U.S. Senate. And I realized, I should have realized that after the first time I ran, that the Republican leadership in this state is really not interested in liberty. That's the sad reality of politics in the state of New Jersey. So uh, I decided um, uh, after I was contacted by the Libertarian Party leadership this year to uh, invite me to run for the U.S. Senate, and I really had to think long and hard about it because mm -hmm. it's not something that's easy to do when you're teaching full time. And so um, I sat down and uh, worked it all out uh, with my wife and the uh, Libertarian Party leadership, and we've been crisscrossing the state making the case. Unfortunately, the media have been blacking me out. Every time they run the story about the U.S. Senate race, I'm not included. Therefore, people who read the papers don't know about my issues, which are really resonating. When I go to street fairs and festivals around the state, people like the message of peace, liberty, prosperity, a universal credit for donations to nonprofits, which means that any time you donate a dollar to your favorite nonprofit or house of worship, since they're tax-exempt organizations, you would save a dollar on your federal income tax. This way, we would transition away from the welfare state, mm -hmm. and people would help people locally without the middleman of the huge federal bureaucracies that are consuming hundreds of billions of dollars. You, you mentioned that the Libertarian Party, I guess, reached out to you to run for U.S. Senate. Um, did you pick running for Senate because you'd ran for Senate before? Or was there a reason why, if they'd asked you to run for, for Congress or for governor, would you have said no? Was Were you targeting the U.S. Senate for a reason? Well, last year they invited me to run for governor in uh, 2017, <laughs> and I couldn't do it because I was on sabbatical in the spring of 2017. I wrote a manuscript on uh, the Federal Reserve. And this year, the uh, things were lining up because we have a pro-war Democrat incumbent, Bob Menendez, who was admonished by the Senate Ethics Committee for his illegal activity. The uh, jury that uh, uh, tr uh, heard the case la late last year uh, resulted in a hung jury and the Justice Department didn't pursue it. But the guy is guilty of breaking federal law regarding his um, filing of uh, his uh, forms for the Senate Ethics Committee. In addition, he used his position to enrich himself by uh, latching on to a, uh, an ophthalmologist from Florida who's now in jail because of defrauding Medicare for nearly $100 million. This is the type of senator we have. He hangs out with people that defrauds the federal government. And so I said, this is an opportunity to not only make the case for libertarianism, but make the case that we need honest people in government, which sounds like an oxymoron. But the point is, we need people to stand up to both Republicans and Democrats because they've been in charge for 160 years. 
And that's so, why I decided to run. So you said that that's the uh, Republican incumbent. No, the Democrat incumbent. Democrat incumbent. Okay, sorry about that. And yeah, but, so, so who is the uh, who's the Democrat in the race? The Democrat incumbent is the former CEO of Celgene, a big pharma company, who endorsed the Democrat in 2012 and donated to his campaign, and so did his company's PAC. So now he's all upset, running these ads, multi millions of dollars ads that Bob Menendez is a crook and corrupt. Well, he knew he should have known that back in 2012 because there were rumors flying prior to 2016. Uh, 2017, 2018, that Bob Menendez had a, has really is unethical and is corrupt. And so uh, Bob Ugin has no moral authority to, to say that I'm the one that's going to go to Washington and be an honest politician when he, in fact, um, enabled Menendez to get reelected in 2012 against a decent Republican, uh, Joe, a former Senator uh, Joe Krillis, who was one of the nicest guys I've ever met in politics. And yet Bob Ugin didn't support him, but he supported Bob Menendez. And Bob Ugin doesn't stand for anything. He, um, he, he, he came out of the gate basically with the whole democratic agenda. And so therefore, there's an opportunity to, to point out that you have uh, a, a corrupt politician who's been supported by this uh, wannabe Republican, who, by the way, claims to be a libertarian. In one of his speeches he gave, he said, I'm a libertarian, but we need a welfare state. I mean, <laughs> don't you how, love that? Don't you love that? Yeah. This is how confused well, uh, this guy is. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you know what, though? That, I mean, because there are a lot of Republicans. It seems like there's an increasing amount of Republicans doing that. Sorry to cut you off there, but I think this is an no. interesting talking point. And, you know, I, I think that we push back immediately. I think that's a bad thing. It, it's It sort of is, but it's a good thing that people used to run away from the libertarian label. I remember for the longest time, even like Rand Paul was afraid to say that he's even libertarian leaning. Now Rand Paul's comfortable calling himself a libertarian Republican. So don't you think that's sort of a good thing that people are embracing the word libertarian? Well, here's how I do it on the campaign trail. I, uh, I'm going to show you since we're on video. I, bring pe- I, br- I show people the uh, Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. and the Constitution. And I say the Declaration of Independence when, was not written by Republicans and Democrats. It was written by freedom fighters. They were the libertarians of the American Revolution. Right. In addition, the Bill of Rights is a libertarian approach to government. How should the government, uh, what should the government be in a free society? It's the Bill of Rights. Leave people alone to follow their own conscience, their own principles, as long as it's peaceful. So when you combine the Declaration of Independence with the Bill of Rights, that's the libertarian message. And then we apply it to the issues facing the country. Right on. So let me ask you a question, because I I managed the campaign for Dale Kearns in Pennsylvania, also running for U.S. Senate. We've been fighting, probably going through the same thing you've been going through with fighting with the local networks to try to get in debates. The League of Women Voters has been, uh, you know, just sort of... um, deceiving us, saying that they're going to invite us and then siding with the network. There was actually an article just published in uh, in Reason today. And I'm curious, have you had any success getting into debates? What's the status of getting getting into debates? Have they just outright blocked you from them or what's, what's going on there? Uh, public television, NJTV, which is a nonprofit um, uh, organization, has scheduled a debate for October 24th. I've not been invited because the criteria is that you have to have 10% in, the quote, a legitimate poll. Well, most of the polls, virtually all the pollsters are not polling me. So how can I get a 10% mm-hmm. in a poll that I'm not in? There was one poll done by Stockton College, Stockton University, which had me at 3%. But I think that poll was um, skewed to voters who don't uh, support me, namely millennials and other uh, uh, demographics in the state. 
again, going around the state, people love the message of universal credits for donations to nonprofits. They love the notion of abolishing the federal gas tax and uh, having the Pentagon budget pay for the federal roads. They like the idea of uh, allowing students with federal guaranteed uh, student loans to declare bankruptcy like billionaires who get the, uh, the opportunity to declare bankruptcy. Uh, the other thing I want to do is I want to take the corporate income tax down to zero because income should only be taxed once. So a C corporation like big business and middle sized mm -hmm. businesses should be like S corporations where the income is taxed at the shareholder level. And we eliminate the whole nonsense of federal uh, income tax returns for corporations. And uh, we make the United States the greatest magnet for capital around the world where companies would set up plants uh, in the United States that set up their businesses. And we would have a, a booming economy without uh, the boom-bust cycle, with, which the Federal Reserve gives us, which we all know, because of the uh, manipulation of interest rates. So my agenda is very simple. Plus, of course, we want to get the troops uh, out of harm's way, bring them home from Germany, uh, Korea, uh, Japan. The wars have been over for decades. Why do we have troops there? And, and uh, we got to give Trump some credit of trying to uh, denuclearize Korea. I applaud him for that. But then again, let's denuclearize the whole world. Why does any country need nuclear weapons? They are the ultimate weapons of mass destruction that can kill tens of millions of people in a few minutes. So why do we need these weapons? They don't serve any purpose. War doesn't serve any purpose, as we all know. And so we need to have a, a, a world of uh, peace, a, a world of freedom. But that takes a lot of hard work. And the United States should lead by example instead of trying to invade, instead of invading countries to try to impose um, a democracy in, in the Middle East. The next question I'm supposed to ask you is about your positions, which I think you've, you've gone through a lot of them where you stand. So I'm kind of going to change my approach on this question. Sure. And I'm going to phrase it this way. So say that you come across, which you probably have at these fairs across the state or these you know different, uh, different events, you come across a voter who's never heard of a libertarian, who's right. never heard of you, um, doesn't know anything about the platform. Mm -hmm. um, if there were three things, if there were three different you know policies, whatever they be, three different uh, platforms, what what are the three that you would pick in order to uh, really convey to that voter what what you're all about in your campaign and what libertarianism is all about? Well, I, I think I think I start with the notion that uh, this country was founded on the principle of the sanctity of the individual, that the individual is sovereign, that government is supposed to protect our rights, not uh, not. Um, uh, override our rights as guaranteed by the Constitution. And that's a simple thing to understand, and that we want you to keep your own money so you have more money for your family to spend on things that you want. You have more money to invest for your future so you can have a secure future, and you can have more money to be more charitable. So who would not, uh, who would not uh, uh, agree with those three principles of keeping more of your own money, reducing taxes, reducing the bureaucracy, and having a more peaceful world. Uh, again, as a son of Holocaust survivors, I can make the case that uh, I learned firsthand the horrors of war from my parents, who were the only ones who survived. And talk about, we cannot make people, quote, democratic or free. They have to do that internally. We can mm -hmm. uh, give them some uh, guidance, if you will, but uh, we should use our State Department for the diplomacy. And we should live in a peaceful world so that my campaign slogan is peace, liberty, prosperity. We shouldn't have the government spying on us with the NSA. Uh, we should have the government basically protecting our rights instead of uh, 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 abridging our rights. And that's a very powerful message, especially the tax issue, which resonates in New Jersey, because we are, what, the second or the first highest tax state in the union. So people understand taxes. And I bring it down to the level that we want you to keep more of your own federal tax dollars. So this way you can 
do the things that you want to do, not what the bureaucrats want to do. And so, and of course, I talk about the fiscal irresponsibility of both parties. And I point out that mm-hmm. last fiscal year, under, quote, a, a fiscal responsible Republican administration in Congress, the deficit was $1.2 trillion. That is right. unconscionable in a time where we're supposed to have a, a good economy. And we only had a one, well, we had a $1.4 trillion deficit at the height of the fiscal crisis 10 years ago. So I say to people, could you imagine what the deficit's going to be if we have another fiscal crisis down the road? Two and a half, three trillion dollars? And then who's going to buy our debt? So I point out we are facing a major fiscal crisis. Of course, people don't see it yeah. because it's not obvious. But as a professor of finance who teaches financial history of the United States, I tell them, I've been studying this subject for nearly 50 years. It's coming. Be prepared because it's not going to be very pretty. Well, let's dive into that. Just a little sidebar into the, the next crisis because it is coming. Um, I'm not going to ask you to, to predict exactly what will happen, but do you think this is something that we could see within a year? You think it's five years, 10 years? Generally, um, how bad do you think it, it could be? And Again, from, from the studies I've done, from the research I've seen, I think within three years, it's sort of a, I would say it's 99.9% guaranteed in three years. Could it happen next year? Absolutely. If the Fed starts raising interest rates because inflation is accelerating faster than they think it is, and they really raise rates. Uh, I showed students today uh, the charts that point out when uh, interest rates do this uh, and uh, the stock market peaks, then it's a countdown to uh, a bear market and a stock market and the economy starts rolling over. So again, no one knows for sure, but there are, uh, uh, there are indicators that I look at. And right now, it looks like uh, two of the indicators are, are signaling a recession is coming fairly soon. And when the two others kick in, like the inverted yield curve, which everyone's talking about on Wall Street, and margin debt rolling over, in other words, the amount of money people have borrowed to buy stocks, mm-hmm. those are still in positive territory. Once those roll over, I think we're, we're going to see the economy peak, the stock market peak, and then it's going to be how deep is this recession right. going to be? How deep is the stock market correction going to be? Well, let's move back to the campaign, and I'm going to ask sure. you a question that uh, it, it's not a gotcha question, but but it's one that I think uh, deserves some some thought. And sure. uh, you know, I, I think it's an important question too. As, as libertarians, we don't agree on everything. You know, there's sure. different different things that that are nuanced, which which is fine. But so, as a libertarian candidate running for U.S. Senate, is there one libertarian position? Where you don't know if you're you're fully on board with it, where you have where you have a disagreement. Yeah, I think the open borders on immigration. Uh, again, being an immigrant, I can talk from uh, experience about how we came to this country. We were sponsored by my father's first cousin, who came to America three years before we did, and his great aunt, who helped raise his mother in America. She, uh, my father's mother, um, lived in America from the age of five till I think the time she was 18 in the early part of the 20th century. So we had sponsorship, which means that someone uh, uh, provided you with papers so you can uh, apply to the immigration service at the time in 1949. And we came here. We got help by a, a, a social service agency, a, a nonprofit social service agency. My father went to work at a dollar an hour at a pencil factory. That's how we became Americans. My parents became citizens in 1954. I became a citizen in 1959. That's the model that I have in my head because that's the experience we had. We didn't come at the, in the dark of night to come to America and uh, try to uh, build a life without getting, quote, permission. Because you need to have a process because I don't think any nation has open borders because my father was vetted 
in Germany where we were living because he was in the uh, in the uh, Polish partisans. So they wanted to know what was he all about because he was come, he came from Poland, uh, that which was under communist rule. So they wanted to know if he had any communist affiliations. What was his uh, relationship to the Russian? Uh, military because he was getting support from the Russian military when he was a partisan fighter in Poland. So they, they had to vet him thoroughly. Plus, we want to make sure that people who come to America are not carrying communicable diseases. That's just common sense. So we want to have a process of a, a conduit, if you will, where people are sponsored. They get support from social service agencies, nonprofits. So the American taxpayers are not responsible for the health and well-being of people coming in. People have skills. They can st- work where whatever skills they have, whether it's construction, whether it's whatever. And that's the, the way I think a, a, a humane society deals with people who want to come here and everyone will be satisfied. But right now we have a huge problem because the federal government has dropped the ball on immigration. You know, I've, I've brought this up before and you're definitely not alone in libertarian candidates bringing that up either. But I kind of think that the the open border narrative is sort of it's sort of false. It's not really like anyone is advocating for open borders. You look at Democrats, the Democrats aren't advocate, advocating for open borders. They still want to document everyone that comes in, and sure. they, they're not saying just open up the border. Um, the libertarians, who you know, the anarchist libertarians, who are say they're for open borders, they're not really either. They're just for a uh, private pop- property society where the borders right. would just be your your property, which we're very far away from that. Right. So I don't think there's anybody on this other on the open borders side saying they want open borders, but yet I don't know. It's it's a strange thing. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, but language is very important. I think what we should talk about is uh, an immigration process that makes people that allows people to come to America in a way that uh, they're not in the shadows. I think that's mm-hmm. the way we should frame it. We want people to be open. We want to have a transparency with people coming to America. Because right now, uh, I was just told the other day that um, uh, this gentleman uh, had someone come to his house to paint the house, probably, in, uh, quote, an illegal, and he wanted paid in cash because he probably doesn't have a checking account because mm-hmm. he needs a social security number to get a checking account. So again, by having a process where people be, uh, get uh, um, uh, uh, green cards, they get uh, 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 application to say they're here uh, uh, in a way that uh, makes them, uh, 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 I guess the, the word would be uh, uh, residents or guests or whatever that we want to call them. Uh, and there's a pathway to citizenship. Right now, there's a problem because you've got 11 million estimated uh, undocumented uh, folks in America. So how, how do we deal with that? And uh, that, that's an issue we have to have a debate on. We have to have a mm-hmm. serious adult debate on how we handle 11 million people who didn't come here the way that I, I came. And people are waiting overseas five, 10 years to come to America. They're not sneaking across the, quote, sneaking across the border. They're trying to come here uh, following the procedure that we have in place. But yet people have jumped in the line, so to speak. And uh, therefore, what do we do about it? Uh, one solution that I uh, think would be uh, something we can debate is that, uh, yes, you can, you, you're here, you're recognized here, and you become a permanent resident of the United States, but you don't have a path to citizenship because you didn't follow the rules, mm-hmm. which means you're legal, but you uh, are not a citizen. I don't know if that matters to people, but they uh, basically have the same rights, except they can't vote. I think that would be the only difference. Um, right. So there's so many different possibilities. Let's have an adult debate instead of pointing fingers and scapegoating. I'm going to be the last person to scapegoat immigrants who didn't fo- follow the procedures. 
because my parents were scapegoated in Poland and Europe in the 1930s and 40s, and therefore uh, I'm not I'm not going to be in the business of scapegoating any ethnic group or nationality. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of ways to do it that are better than the way we're doing it today. But absolutely, uh, just want to give you the, the opportunity, Murray, to uh, let our listeners know where they can find your website, your Facebook, any of your sure. social media, how they can uh, donate or uh, volunteer for your campaign. Yeah, uh, t- uh, today we're, we're recording this on uh, on uh, October 9th, which is exactly four weeks before the election. So given that we haven't raised the type of money that the other candidates have, we have to have a grassroots turnout of the vote. How do we that? How do we do that? Uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to make that appeal tonight on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Murray Sabrin for U.S. Senate. If we can get 10,000 Sabrin supporters around the state, which is not a lot of people in a nation, in a state with 5.8 million registered voters, if 10,000 people can get a hundred people to the polls, that's a million votes. We win easily without spending a penny. But in order for people to know who I am, we have to get on radio and TV right away to get our message out. So people can go to SaveRoomForSenate.com and donate on the donate page uh, so we can get on radio, TV. The message, I can tell you, is resonating across the political spectrum. Even Democrats who I've known for a long time, when I tell them about my universal credit, they love the idea of keeping the money here to help people become financially independent, to help them get on their two feet, uh, pull them up by their bootstraps. Instead of having this huge bureaucracy in Washington doling out money, this way we don't have to beg Washington for our own money back, uh, which is what we have to do with all these earmarks and things like that. Let's keep the money in, 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 in Pennsylvania. Let's keep the money in New Jersey, Delaware, Texas, California. That's going to build a stronger economy, and it's going to make sure that people get the services they need locally rather than having these massive welfare programs from uh, health care to uh, to uh, food stamps, to uh, child nutrition, to you name it. You have this huge bureaucracy. Then you have to have a state bureaucracy to administer it as well, and local bureaucracies. I like to do things at the wholesale level, at the local mm-hmm. level. We are decentralists. That's the key message. We want things to be done at the level that's going to give people who donate more bang for the buck, as opposed to their tax dollars, which, uh, which quite frankly, how much is wasted? 10, 20, 30, 40%? Who knows? Uh, it's, it's a lot of money that goes through Washington, D.C. So let's start the libertarian revolution of getting rid of the welfare state and certainly getting rid of the warfare state as well. I like it. Well, thank you so much for giving some time to talk with the Lions of Liberty audience today, and good luck with the rest of your campaign. So please go to SabrinForSenate.com. If we fill the coffers for the next uh, couple of weeks, we will certainly have the wherewithal to get our message out. And the point is, we know the polls are kind of shaky. Just ask President Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation today with the great Dr. Murray Sabrin, one of my favorite people in the liberty movement. I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Sabrin down in New Orleans this year at the Libertarian National Convention. He gave a rousing speech at the Mises Caucus event, the uh, Mises Bash uh, thrown by Michael Heiss and uh, and his team there, the Mises Caucus, which was a great event, and it was great to get to meet Murray in person. You know, this show, Candidates of Liberty, you know, we're not going to keep doing it year-round, but hopefully you guys are taking value out of this. We've got a lot of messages. There was one, I, I forget the, the gentleman's name who sent the message, but he was saying, which candidate he was talking about, but he was saying that he didn't know a libertarian was running in his state. 
until he heard him on Candidates of Liberty. So that's sort of the goal of this. And if you are a libertarian in one of these states that we have your candidate on, please share it on social media, send it out to your friends. This is a great way to introduce people to the ideas of liberty through libertarian campaigns. And we only bring on the best libertarian candidates. So uh, these are great messengers and a good icebreaker for someone who really, they haven't really uh, heard the message of liberty yet. So think about that. Please share the show. Also, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, we've been working really, really hard for the past couple weeks here. And we've just upped the number of shows recently to five shows per week. That is not going to last forever. That's limited time through the end of this month. So we're working hard for you. Please consider helping us out a little bit and and becoming a Lions of Liberty Pride member. You can join the Lions of Liberty Pride by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. You get access to all of our bonus content. We have some regular bonus shows we do every week, and we have bonus questions with uh, with guests and things like that. The Pride, you know, we'll get to actually give us the questions to ask those guests in our private Pride Facebook group. And there's also, uh, depending on how much you give, if you get up to $10 and $15, $25, if you get up on those levels, you get some merchandise too for joining the Pride Lines Lines of Liberty merchandise. You can check out all of our merchandise. You can also buy it separately without joining the Pride. You can find that at lionsofliberty.store. We have some great designs over there. So check all that stuff out. We appreciate all all the support from, of course, our Pride members, but also just our loyal listeners, too, you know, because we would not be doing this show if we didn't see the rising download numbers uh, that we're getting, you know, every single week, more and more people are listening to the Lions of Liberty, and we are grateful, grateful for your support, so thank you for that, and that is all I got for this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up, and the fire is liberty burning. <laughs>